Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. You call me out. And I was thinking, like, how many times that could be a scary thing where we don't want to be called out because it's been from people who are, are trying to point out what's wrong rather than calling us out into what he has for us. Jesus never called Peter to somewhere where he wasn't already ready for him. He wasn't saying, Peter, look what's wrong with you. You're in the boat. He said, Peter, come out to where I am. And that's where he's calling us into when he calls us out. It's, it's not so much that he's concerned with where you are as much as he wants you where he is. And so if he's calling you out, rather than being afraid and hiding, I think if we would see it as that, even with each other, if we would see it when our friends are calling us out, they're not calling us out because of where we are. They're calling us out because of where we could be. They're saying there's so much more. Like even if where you are is okay, he's not okay with just okay. There's always more. So Father, would you call us out in the loving gentle and kind way that you do. Would you call us out beyond the waves, God, out off the shore? God, that we would go deeper and deeper, but always knowing that if you're calling, that when we walk out, we find you there. You're not sending us, God, you're calling us to where you are. So Father, would you just soften? I also felt this when we were worshiping is that we a lot of times pray for for things that are broken to be mended, but I also felt myself saying, Father, would you crush that which needs to be crushed? Father, would you come? And you know, Spirit of God, you know, would you crush what needs to be crushed? And would you mend what needs to be mended? Let's just do that. Just Why don't we just extend our hands towards him? And just live, like, not in, a, not in a religious, superficial way, but just ask the Spirit of God to come and crush what needs to be crushed. Father, would you come and crush what needs to be crushed? And would you come and mend what needs to be mended? Mend it. Bind up what's broken and break what was never meant to be. Oh, we love you, God. We're so thankful for your spirit. We're so thankful for your presence. We're honored by your presence. It's not a light thing. It's not a, oh, this is what we expect. We do expect, God, but we never stop being amazed. We never want to take you for granted, God. We never want to let you become common. You would come and be with us. Jesus, we love you. Spirit, we're thankful for you. We love you. Amen. Amen. Woo! I believe he wants a people that long to be called out because they never want to be somewhere he doesn't intend for them to be. That, that, and I think if we, would, if we would be humble, both in the way that we 
say, but also in the way we receive. It creates permission and it creates space for, for God to speak to us through one another and to call us out of things we were never meant to be in and call us into things that he has for us. Like, if calling out is simply pointing out the wrong, what good is it? The devil can do that. There has to be, here's what he has. Here's what's right. Here's why I can even see the wrong is because I see the right. And when I see the right, everything that's not becomes very apparent. And I'm not focused on the wrong. I see it. I'll call you out of that. But I'm calling you into something. When he told Peter to come out of the boat, he didn't say, Peter, get out of the boat and walk away from me. It was, Peter, I want you out of there because I want you with me where I am. I'm calling you out into me. So open yourself up to that. Like, what if we prayed that all the time? Like, literally, I was just praying that over and over again as we are worshiping. Like, God, would you crush? Like, yes, come and bind the things that have been broken that need to be bound. Come mend the hearts that have been broken. Come, you know, do what you said you would do. But, but crush the things that need to be crushed. Crush them. Um, we're we're going to take up our offering. They can go ahead and start passing the baskets. Um, I'm just going to bless it real quick, and then we'll get into our message. Father, would you just bless this offering, God? I thank you that we have something to give. I pray that everything that we give to you, God, you're the best steward, that you've called us to be good stewards only because you're a good steward. And, and so, God, as we entrust you with everything we have, from the least of it of our finances to the most of it with our lives and our time, God, our hearts, would you take what we give and would you multiply it and steward it like only you can so that it can accomplish everything you intended for it to. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Wow, um, oh, you guys, do you feel that? I'm serious. You just, you feel it, right? Like, it's not just getting together and hyping each other up. It's seeking him and it's the presence of God. But it's this, this, I think it's, there's a sincerity of like, like, Lord, we found the one thing and we'll sell it all to have you. So you tell us the price. Like we've already determined we're going to pay it. Now we're just waiting for you to show us what it costs. You have a blank check with my name signed on it, Lord, because what I've found is greater than anything you could ask. Now you just tell me. And I, I do feel like we're in a season right now where things that were okay in the, in the season that we, that we were in are not okay in this season, and not because they were sin, but because he's saying, I have better. Because he's saying, like, like we, how many of you have prayed for more of him? This just being honest. Like, if everybody's hand doesn't go, if, all right, who hasn't prayed for more of him? Well, I'm being serious. That's not like, I don't, yeah, if you haven't, like, oh, you need to, because you need more of him. But, but we pray for more of him, but how many of us have actually asked ourselves, what will it cost me to have more? Like, what am I willing to give up if he actually answers my prayer? Or am I just saying, I want more of you, God, but I only want as much of you as I could possibly take in the lifestyle that I'm comfortable with right now. So you see this little window right here? Would you squeeze more in that? Because I don't want to give up. Like, I'm serious. Like, be honest with ourselves and ask ourselves, are we living in a way where we're like, God, if it costs me everything, whatever it is, God, I have to have more of you at all cost. I don't want to waste my time on worthless things. 
want what I can have you. But really, if we're praying for more of him, let's be also praying, God, show me what I can give to make room for more. And then just be obedient. It's not hard. He knows. And look, this isn't like some legalistic thing of like, all that I have to, you know, get rid of my television, get rid of my computer, unless he tells you to. But, but I am saying like every yes that I give means that I can't give a yes to something else. I have limited yeses in my life. You, we think we have unlimited yeses, so we spend them without thinking about this sometimes. But you have a limited number of yeses. Every yes that you give here means a no you have to give there. So why don't we ask ourselves, are the things I'm saying yes to that are keeping me from being able to say yes to greater things? And ask him to show us. Because I, like I, I don't, it's, I, like, if it's sin, like the time to give that up was yesterday. Okay, it's never like, well, God was okay with me living in sin yesterday, but today he's not. No, he was never okay with sin. He sent his son to die on a cross and be beaten and mutilated and drain his blood out because of sin. It's kind of a big deal to him. Like, don't get so caught up in the message of grace that you realize that you forget the reason grace had to come. It was because a loving father wanted to buy back humanity from the ravages of sin that caused the, the relationship we were created for to be severed. He's not okay with that. He's not okay with us willingly giving ourselves the things that he sent his son to die for us to be free from. That's not like, if that sounds pharisaical or legalistic, our, our, our idea of grace is twisted. Because Jesus was constantly calling people out of lesser things and challenging them into greater things. Like, he gave his life for you to be free from that, not for you to be entertained by it. So if we're praying for more of him, let's make sure that we're doing our part, which would be to seriously consider Father, what is it that I can do to make room for the more of you that you're longing to give? You know, the woman with the, with the vessels that he filled with oil, he said, the prophet said, go and get vessels and not just a few. What was he saying? He's saying, listen, you get to decide how much oil God pours out. And the, the way that's decided is how much room you make to contain what he wants to pour out. And I promise you, there's always more of him to pour out than there is for us to contain. It's never an oil problem. It's always a vessel issue. In order for one to increase, another must decrease. It's just the way it is. Because there's only so much of your time. There's only so much of your heart. And if you want to have more, something has to decrease. It's just the way it is. There's no way around that. Can he supernaturally expand when you give him your full yes, the amount of him that you can contain? Absolutely. But why would he when there's stuff that you haven't even given up yet? Why would he supernaturally bless something beyond something when we haven't even done the part that we could do? That wouldn't even be right. 
Like it wouldn't even be right for us to be like, God, would you just supernaturally stretch my time so that I can do more and, and be more and, and, and I can have more of you and I can touch more people when there's things in our lives that we're choosing willfully that are keeping us from having more time. Like why would he? It got quiet. What happened to the happy worship crowd? Come on. I'm just, I'm getting challenged on this. Like, like I'm being super challenged right now of, of where, like my time and how I spend it and where I give it to and the things that I say yes to and being aware of the fact that like a yes here means a no there, even if I don't know in the moment the thing that I'm going to have to say no to. I want to make sure that before I give my yes, I ask him, is this where you want me to spend my life? Is this where you want me to spend my yes? Because I don't want to give a yes out of my own desire or out of thinking it sounds good only to find out that that yes cost me the potential to give a yes somewhere that was even better and was a greater use of my time. And I'm, I'm wrestling through that, and I think it's good for all of us too, honestly. I feel like this season he's calling us into, it's not just for me and not just for people on stage and not just for people that you, know, you look up to or that, that you feel like really walk with God. I think it's for everybody. He wants his entire bride set apart, consecrated to him and in love and not doing it in a workman mentality and saying, well, I have to work to earn more. It's No, it's out of a place of saying, like, I've seen what I can have. Everything else seems so worthless. Because if you're doing it, it, just because you're trying to earn more, you'll never continue to do it. You'll never do for a wage what you'll freely do for love. Not consistently and not long term. You can do things short term for a wage. You'll never do them as well or as faithfully or as long as you will for love. Because sooner or later, what you're getting won't seem worth the price that you're paying. And you'll do a cost to benefit analysis. And all of a sudden, now God becomes a formula in percentages. But if it's for love, there's not even a thought of what it's costing me. I just know that I could give that to have that, yes. Not because I feel like I need to earn it, but because I'm saying, if there's something I could do to have more of you, I want it. Which means anything that would keep me from that, I don't want. It's, a, it's an easy decision, but it, it it's, it's, it's actually takes a conscious decision, and it actually takes being mindful of it and thinking about it. I, I believe that, that we are. We, I just feel it. Like, you woke up this morning, and you felt it in the air. <laughs> Football season started. The weather started to cool off. Kids are back in school. But way beyond those things, there's something that he's doing there's something in the air. There's something that's happening where it's there, there's this, this, this just his heart for humanity that's always been is we're starting to understand it and he's inviting us into that with him. And I, I believe that he's calling his bride, not just one expression of it here at this church or wherever that may be, but I feel like he's calling us as a people into this place of boldness. But I think it's a boldness that's birthed in humility and love not in a need to be bold. Not being bold for boldness sake, being bold out of a genuine place of love and humility. And I think that the biggest hindrance to boldness in the body of Christ, to true, humble, loving boldness, is the fear of man and what people think of us. I do. I'll turn your Bibles real quick. And I just, there's a story that so vividly displays this. Matthew chapter 14. I'm going to start right at the top of the, of the passage. 
This is some, I, I just, I feel this. I feel God challenging me in this area. I feel, I feel him confirming things in this area. Um, I just, I, 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 I know this is a, his heart for us right now. I know this is what he's calling us to step into. And, 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 and hear me say the things I say this morning, not in a condemning way to point out where we're not, but in a challenging way to say this is where he's calling us to. Like, it's not to point out where you're not for the sake of shaming you. It's the point of calling you into what's available for the sake of his name and to bring glory to him. And so Matthew chapter 14, verse 1 says, At, the time, at that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the news about Jesus and said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. For when Herod had John arrested, he bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip. For John had been saying to him, it's not lawful for you to have her. Although Herod wanted to put him to death, he feared the crowd because he regarded John as a prophet. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you it's alive, it's active, it's, it's searching our hearts even as we search it. God, that, that it changes us. God, that, that we don't just open your word, we open ourselves to your word. To be examined and to examine ourselves by your word. And Father, we want to be more like Jesus more than we want to be comfortable. Father, that's truly our heart. We want to be more like you than we want to be comfortable. So would you make us uncomfortable anywhere we've settled and call us into where you are? In Jesus' name. So here's Herod. He is the king. He is the supreme ruler. And he has the ability, because of his position, to insulate himself from anybody who would criticize himself. I was just reading this story, and so many things stuck out to me, and, and, and I want to get to the main point. Well, one of the things that really stood out to me was as we grow in authority, we also grow in our ability to insulate ourselves from hearing from other people, and we have to make sure that as we're growing in authority, we're growing in humility. Because here's the deal. Like, if we don't stay humble as we grow, like, just think about as, as a parent. You have a child. Suddenly, you have a place of authority. You have the ability to silence that child when they speak just because of the authority that you have in the position you hold. Whether, whether they're right or wrong, you can tell them, be quiet, don't say anything else, I'm the parent, you're the child. It, it requires humility in our hearts to be able to receive from our children and hear them. And, and, and so like, there are times where like, our kids are trying to say something that's completely like, absurd. It, it's okay. You don't have to live by it, but if you just shut them up every time they try to talk to you, they learn their opinion isn't valid, and what you're teaching them is that when someone has authority, what they think matters more than what you think. So you don't want your kids in that place, because what happens if the authority figure isn't someone that loves Jesus? But as you, as you grow in authority, you grow in the ability, if you choose, to insulate yourself from conviction because you have the ability to silence the voice of those who would convict you. And this is what happened to Herod. John comes to him and says to him, Herod, Herod is living for himself. He was, he was completely sensually driven. He lived in a way where he was on the throne of his life, literally, and he was literally on the throne to where he could make the desires of his heart happen anytime he wanted to. What, that's a dangerous place to be in where there's nothing that can check you from chasing after the things that are in your heart 
when you're not submitted to Jesus and you're living to fulfill yourself. And the problem with Herod is, is like, it doesn't matter when I'm living, like there's one of two people on the throne of your heart, just to be perfectly honest, it's either you or it's Jesus. You're either living life to serve yourself or you're living life to serve Jesus. But one of the two is occupying the throne of your heart. And when you're occupying the throne of your heart, there's never enough. And so he's got all these wives and concubines. He's got everything, but there's one woman that he really wants. And guess who it is? It's his brother's wife. And so he takes her and brings her into the palace and makes her his. And begins sleeping with her and treating her as his own wife. And John comes along and says, Herod, that's not right. This should not be. And instead of humbling himself and listening to the voice of conviction, he chooses, because he has the authority to do so, to silence the voice of the accuser by putting him in prison. But he doesn't kill him. Why? Because of the opinion of the people, because they regard John as a prophet. So what he wants, and this gives you insight into the way that he lives his life and how he makes decisions, what he desires is to have his cake and to eat it too. He desires to have the wife of his brother to not have to listen to the voice of the prophet, but to make the people who consider him a prophet happy by not killing them. Because honestly, from the outside looking in, it looks like he's doing the right thing to some people because he's not killing John when he clearly has the ability to. But he's only not killing John because he's afraid of what the people will think, not because his heart cares about John. And this is the problem when we are living our lives for the opinions of people is that every move we make is calculated by the response of people rather than love for people. He didn't love John. He loved the people not hating him. So he used John as a means to keep favor with the people rather than actually loving John and listening to him the way the people regarded him. Isn't it funny that he values their opinion of John enough to make them happy, but not enough to actually hear him as a prophet. Because everything he does is self-consumed. Because he's living for the praises and the approval of people. And so they say John's a prophet. So he says, well, because they say he's a prophet, I won't kill him. And the people say, wow, he respects what we say. But he doesn't respect what they say. Because if you respected what they'd say, he'd stand in front of the prophet and say, speak to me and I'll listen. And the prophet would say, what you're doing is wrong. And he would say, you're right. And he would get rid of the wife of his brother and he would repent and he would turn. He has no interest in repenting and turning. All he cares about is keeping as many people happy as he possibly can because he lives for the praises and the approval of people. And there's not an ounce of boldness in him there's not an ounce of self-awareness in him, and all he wants to do is the thing that will make the most people happy rather than the, thing, the one thing that would please the one who matters. Here's the problem with making your decisions based on the people around you. That would have been a snare. You know, the Bible says that the fear of man is a snare. Here's the problem with living for the opinions of people around you. The problem is this, what happens when the people around you change? 
If your decisions are being made by what the people around you think and what will make them happy, what if a different crowd of people are around and what will make them happy isn't the same thing that would make that crowd happy? Now you're in a pickle because what are you going to do? You were making your decision not based off your own conviction, not based on having something that you hold higher than yourself and your own desires and your own thoughts, which is the word of God. That's not your standard. Your standard is people's opinion. What happens when people's opinion change? I'll show you. When Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Having been prompted by her mother, she said, give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. And although he was grieved, the king commanded it to be given because of his oaths and because of his dinner guests. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. You know what the saddest line of that is to me? Well, John's head being brought on a platter. But the thing that shook me when I read that was this line. Although he was grieved, the king commanded it to be given to her. And I realized he wasn't grieved because John was about to get his head chopped off. He was grieved because he was worried about the opinion of the people who regarded John as a prophet. And I realized when we lose our ability to live for the approval of God, people stop being people and they start being pieces of a chessboard and pawns. And we only care about them to the extent that they can curry favor for other people for us. Literally, he doesn't care about John. He doesn't care that this man is about to have his head cut off. He cares that that man having his head cut off might cost him the favor of some people, and that's the thing that grieves his heart. Because here's the deal. As long as the people around him wanted John to be kept alive, he was perfectly happy keeping John alive. Not because he cared about John. If what we're doing isn't being done out of love, if it's being done because of what people think, then we're subject to changing what we do based on the people that we're around. Like literally, if it's easy to praise God here, but it's hard to praise God there, then there's something about the people around us that matters to us more than the one that we're praising. Look, I I get it. This is an environment where everybody's going after the Lord, pursuing the Lord, and praising the Lord, and there's something about being in that flow. But I'm telling you, if when you go out, the things that come out of your mouth here don't sound like the things that come out of your mouth there, then you're more concerned with what the people around you think than you are concerned with what he thinks, and he's supposed to be the object of our worship. Thanks, Kenny. I wrote this down. I want to read it. He lived for the praises of people, and because of this, when he was faced with something, he was constantly looking at the people around him and deciding how he would live based on their response or want because he had no conviction that was greater than his desire for the esteem of men.
Turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. I wrote out some things, and I don't often read the things that I write down, but there were some things I wrote that I really wanted to read because I felt like they were from the heart of the Lord for us. When we fix our eyes on the crowd and let the opinion of man matter more than the opinion of God, we lose sight of people and their value. They become simply objects we use that serve our purposes to gain or keep influence rather than individuals that we're called to love and serve. And truthfully, when we become more concerned with people's response than people's eternal value, the problem isn't with the people, it's with us. Because here's the problem, and this is the thing that I think is the key to living in humble boldness. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 says this, There is no fear in love, for perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. The problem with not wanting to tell people the truth or not wanting to hear truth is not so much of a fear issue as it is a lack of love issue. I love myself more than I love you if I will sacrifice your, ne your need for truth for my level of comfort. That's why Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you've got to first deny yourself. Then you take up your cross and you follow me. Because if I see you and I see something or the Lord shows me something or the Lord calls me to speak some truth into your life and I won't do it because I'm afraid of what your response might be, I love your response more than I love you. And I love my comfort more than I value your life. And I think that God is wanting us to fall in love with people to the point where when we see somebody, the response that we have to them is that we talk to them in a way where they, we tell them the truth in love, but we'll sacrifice our own comfort and we'll risk the fact that we may be rejected because we believe that them hearing the truth in love is more important than us being comfortable and accepted. And if we would live this way, we would actually be able to speak things to people that they need to hear. And even if their response isn't what we want to see in the moment, we believe that the seeds were planted and one day those seeds will be watered and one day God will bring increase and one day they'll bear fruit. And whether we see the fruit or not doesn't, shouldn't determine our level of desire to be obedient. It's actually deciding that there's something in life that's more important. But I want to flip this around the other way. And I want to say this, as much as we have a need to be that for people, we have a need to let people be that for us. And as we grow in influence, and as we grow in authority, and as we grow, whether that's in your job, whether that's in your home, whether that's out in, you know, in school, or in your hobbies, or your position in, in a ministry, or whatever it is, as we grow, we need people around us that have the permission to speak truth into our lives, and we need to make sure that our heart stays in a way that when they speak truth to us, rather than looking for a way we can shut them up, we look for a way that we can hear their heart, so that we can hear the Lord speak to us is there it's him that's actually speaking. I, we need this. Like, I need this. I remember when the church first started, I remember there was an elder. His name was Tom Snyder. And me and him butted heads on everything. We did. He, he was one of the guys that I thought 
When, so, so, so the church kind of came to this point where nobody knew what to do. There was like 15 people here. There was a board of elders and, and trying to figure out what to do, and no one could decide. And someone, the, the guy who was the pastor had kind of said that he thought I was supposed to be the pastor, but then some things happened. It got really weird, and nobody could really make a decision. I said, I'll make it easy for you guys. I don't want to be the pastor. I'm out. And I walked out the door because <laughs> I had said no every time they asked because I didn't have a desire to be a pastor at that time. And I thought, here's my out. And I walked out the door and one of the elders, a guy named Jeff, came and got me. He said, don't leave. Let's, let's just give God a chance. And, and then if we can't figure out what to do, we can sell the building and give the money to some church somewhere and everyone go their separate ways. And so he walked back into that meeting and he said, hey guys, rather than us sitting here and arguing, why don't we just all take three days and seek the Lord and ask the Lord what's supposed to happen? And if we get back together and we all feel like the Lord's told us the same thing, we'll do it. And if we can't agree still, we'll just go our separate ways and donate the church. And everyone said, okay. And they told me that. And I went home. I, I, I thought I had an out because there was two guys that definitely didn't want me to be the pastor. <laughs> and so I told Patty, I said, if, and this is the truth, I said, if we get back together and all seven people say they've heard the same thing, I'll know that's the Lord and I'll, I'll say yes to it. And Patty was like, oh, okay, because she already knew. <laughs> you know, it's funny how my wife would just let me go out and discover things, you know? It's like, <laughs> it's, oh, okay, that sounds great, honey. Thinking to herself, like, I already know, the Lord already showed me. Sometimes you have to have, like, enough self-control to not always have to tell people everything you know and let them go and discover things for themselves so they know they've heard the Lord, not heard you. I had another friend that I called. He's a pastor out at um, Gateway Church in Texas. And I, I called him up and I asked him. I said, they're making this decision and, and I'm kind of torn and I feel this way and I feel that way and I know this and I know that, but also this. And he said, man, if I was you, Roy, I would stop calling people. I said, I would hang up the phone. I'd get alone in your room. And I'd ask the Lord what he says. Because if he says to pastor, and you do, and times get hard, and they will, a word from me won't sustain you, but a word from him will. You need that word. Don't call anybody else. Go get with him. And I, and I did. And so we got back together into the room, and every one of the elders, including two that said they wouldn't attend church here because they thought this church would be a church that would go in a direction they didn't want to go, not unbiblical, just the way we would do church would be different than what they wanted. They said, even though I'm not going to attend here, I do feel like you're supposed to be the man that pastors this church. Everyone was in agreement, and away we went. And I called this one elder. His name was Tom. He's still here. He's one of our, he actually teaches, and um, he'll be teaching some one-night Bible studies coming up soon. He's I mean, this guy, like, if you look at him, you'd be like, hmm. You wouldn't, no, I'm serious. You wouldn't expect, looking at him, that he's lived the life that he's lived. You wouldn't expect a man who was part of the Jesus People movement, hitchhiked across America on the credit card of the guy that started TBN and ended up in a van with Keith Green. <laughs> That's him. And we butted heads on all kinds of things. And I was praying, and the Lord said, tell him you won't say yes unless he stays. And I was thinking, well, I, he didn't say he was going to leave. I'm, why do I got to tell him that? And then I felt like the Lord just repeated himself. And I was like, okay. So I called him up and said, hey, I, I need to meet with you for breakfast. And he said, okay. And in his mind, he thought, I'm coming to tell him I don't want him to be on the elder board because we disagreed on a lot of things. And he said he was going to make it easy for me by telling me he didn't want to be on the elder board because we disagreed on things. <laughs> 
But he went to sleep that night, and he had a dream, and he shared it with me down the road. And in the dream, he saw my face, and it came right up to him, and I looked him right in the eyes, and I said, we could have done something amazing. That was it. And so the next morning, we had coffee, and I told him, I said, Tom, I'll say yes to this on one condition. You stay. And I caught him off guard, and he said, I, to be honest, I thought you were coming here to tell me you'll say yes as long as I leave. <laughs> but I told him, I said, and I want to meet with you regularly, and I want your voice in my life, and I want you to be someone who sees things that I don't and that calls me out on things and that helps me to make sure that every decision we make is based on what the Lord's saying. And he said, okay. And we've met in the last year and a half since our schedule kind of changed. It's, it's been a little more sporadic, but we still meet regularly. But for the first eight years that we were at church, nine years that we were at church, we met every single Thursday. We still meet a couple Thursdays a month at least. I'm getting back towards more regular again because our schedule is getting more normal. But I'm saying that to say, like, if we don't live our lives where we have people in our lives we trust more than ourselves and a word of God that we trust above everything, it will be so easy for us to find ourselves in a place where we're actually telling people to kill somebody because we think that's what has to be done to keep the favor of the people that are in front of us. And if we don't ask the Lord to give us a humility and a boldness, we won't love people to the point where we're willing to lay our lives down to see them know him in a greater way. You know, the Bible talks about greater love. I'll close with this. The Bible talks about greater love has not a man than this, that he would lay down his own life for his friends. Okay? And we always think of that as like Jesus dying on a cross, and that certainly could fit that description to better than any other way. But what about this? What about being willing to lay down my right to be accepted, my right to be comfortable, my right to be liked, my right to be popular, my right to look good in front of people, my right to any of those things, what about being willing to lay that down for the sake of other people? Because I love my own life, not unto death. What if we really became a people, and I feel like God's challenging, and I don't want this just to be another message. I want this to be something we hear as a cry from his heart, where he's saying, I need you to get over the opinions of people, and the way you do that is you fall in love with me, and you fear me only, so that you never find yourself in a place where the opinions of people or the fear of man dictate what you do. Because one has to increase and the other has to decrease. The more we fear people, the less we fear the Lord. And we could find ourselves in a place genuinely where we have no fear of the Lord. And all we fear is people. We find ourselves upset because we have to kill somebody, but not because we have to kill somebody. We're upset because it might change the opinion of people towards us, and that's what matters. That is such a grievous place, but it doesn't get there overnight. It starts by slowly decreasing the fear of the Lord and slowly allowing the fear of man to increase. It never starts at 100 and zero. It starts one little percentage at a time, and every percentage of fear of man that creeps into our heart comes at the expense of a percentage of the fear of the Lord. And everybody's somewhere on that scale right now. Everybody. I'm saying, like, let's, I'm challenging us as a church family to get alone with him and ask him, God, show me areas of my life where I've said no to things 
because I was concerned about people more than I was concerned about you. And here's the truth. If we're genuinely concerned for people, we'll care about the one in front of us more than we care about ourselves. And we won't have a problem doing something that's uncomfortable for us, even if it means we get rejected. Because in the end, we want to be more like Jesus more than we want to be comfortable. It's, it's the fear of man thing is not a snap up and get out of it. It's get alone with him and be loved by him. Remember Peter? Remember Peter? Peter who Jesus says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter says, I'll never let that happen. And then three times in 24 hours, he denies even knowing who Jesus is. Never mind standing in front of people and preaching the gospel. He won't even admit that he knows who Jesus is. Fear of man has completely consumed him to the point where a little girl says, hey, you're one of the men that was with him, aren't you? He says, I never even knew the man. Like, not like he's not my savior, not he's not my Lord, not not preaching the gospel. Like, I don't even know who you're talking about. Three times. Look what Jesus does to fix that. He comes to Peter. First thing he does, he says to Mary, he says, tell my brothers and Peter that I'm coming for them in Galilee. What's he saying? He's saying, tell my brothers and also tell Peter, let him know that my heart towards him is still the same. Because if he said, just tell my brothers, I think Peter would have excluded himself because of what he did. And he would have felt like Jesus surely doesn't want me to come. Because he was so full of guilt and shame for what he had done. So Jesus says, tell my brothers, and especially Peter, I haven't changed my mind about him. I'm coming for him. I'll see him in Galilee. Then, when he sees him, what's he doing? He's preparing lunch for them. They come, he eats with them, he feeds them, and then he says to Peter, do you love me? Jesus says, I do. Feed my sheep. He says, Peter, do you love me? He says, Lord, I do. He says, then feed my sheep. He says, Peter, do you love me? You know I do, Lord. And tend to my sheep. And then this man, Peter, goes out and stands in front of 3,000 men and declares the gospel of Jesus Christ immediately following that. But what was it that got him from Peter who wouldn't admit that he knew him to Peter who declared, you killed the Christ? It was Jesus being for him what he was asking Peter to be for others. He feeds him and he tends to him and he loves him. And he says, Peter, now you go and do this. The answer to the fear of man is not to go and do. It's to go and be with him. Be loved by him. Be consumed and fed and tended to by the love of Jesus. And then you'll naturally go and love and tend to the people that he puts in front of you. He didn't say, Peter, you better shape up your act. Peter, you better go do. See, so many times we hear a message like this and we're like, okay, God, the next opportunity. It's like, no, stop. Don't tell yourself the next opportunity. Get alone with him and let him love your heart to the point where the next opportunity is an overflow of what's going on, not a decision that you've made in your mind. Don't let it be a response to a message. Let it be a response to the Savior. Like, respond to the message by seeking Him, being changed by Him, being fed by Him, being tended to by Him, to the point where when the next time someone's in front of you, you're so full of Him that you naturally have Him to give to them. He doesn't scold Peter. 
We've had enough scolding. How'd that work? What we need are people in our lives that love us, that don't scold us, but that speak the truth to us. You know what a scold is? A scold is pointing out what you've done wrong. Conviction is pointing out where you're called to be. And in the light of that, I see what I've done. That's not where I'm supposed to be. So Father, would you just come and and crush our hearts, God? God, I pray for both sides of this coin. I pray that we would be people, God, who would make ourselves humble and open to be able to receive from other people that you send, but that would also be people who would be humble and who would be open so that we can be those people that you send that speak. God, that that we wouldn't make decisions based on the fear of man. We would make decisions based on our fear of you. That we wouldn't make decisions based on the love we're receiving from people and figuring out how we can be more loved. We would make decisions by being people who know how much we're loved. And so our decisions are made from a place of being loved, not trying to find it. Our decisions are made from a place of being accepted, not trying to find acceptance. Our decisions are made, God, because we value other people more than we value our need to be comfortable. Father, would you, would you, would you break our hearts for that? God, would you show us any area of our lives where we've loved our own life more than we've loved other people? Where we've allowed ourselves to make decisions based on what people think rather than what you've said. God, would you come and love us in those areas? God, would you like Peter, would you bring us in and feed us and let us just feast on you and with you? Would you love us and tend to us, God, and then send us out knowing that what we have, we'll give. God, as we grow in authority, let us continue to grow in humility. God, never let us believe our own hype. Let's not live for what man would say to us, but to truly, in our heart of hearts, live for what you say when we stand before you. And you say, well done. Well done. Let that be our only ambition. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.